0: All right, well, we are ready to get rolling here. Are you ready for the Word? We're going to dive in together. One of the things I like to do is just approach the Word and approach our time together the right way. So would you grab your Bibles and hold them up with me, please? Repeat these words after me. Believe the words coming out of your mouth. Say, "Father Father in heaven, thank you for this Word. It is the absolute truth, and I believe it. It is your personal love letter to me, and I receive it. It's the answer to my questions and the answer to the world's issues. Lord, today, my ears are ready to hear your word. My heart is ready to receive your word. And I, by faith, am ready to be a doer of the word, no matter what comes my way. In Jesus' name. Now, fathers, we approach our time together in your word. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O oh, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Today, I pray that I would only say what you would have me say, and I would only do what you would have me do. We ask these things today in the name of Jesus and everyone who agreed said, amen. amen. You know, Pastor John in 2015 had, has done an excellent job, did an excellent job of teaching us the importance of preaching The gospel, getting out there and preaching the gospel. We have learned so much in 2015. We have learned what the gospel is and we have learned why we need to preach it. And what I find most amazing is that of all the methods that God could have chosen to preach his word, he chose you and me. I find that absolutely amazing. Of all the different ways, of all the greater ways he could have chosen, he chose you and he chose me. Us. I mean, he could have had angels come down like they did in front for Mary and for others, but he chose us. And you know what? It's a privilege and it's a responsibility to carry this message to the world. But you know, even with all of that, I want to ask you a question, not a condemning question, but an honest question. Make a simple evaluation this morning. How effective do you feel your preaching is? How effective One of the questions I have to ask myself regularly, how effective am I in bringing God's message? How effective am I? And how can I gauge that? Well, this morning I want to spend some time studying out this issue of being effective in our preaching. You know, one of the things that I want to start with is by saying this. I've boiled preaching down. Uh, What is preaching? We think about what is preaching. I boiled it down to one sentence, and I'm going to share it with you. So this is Kurt's translation, okay? Preaching is this. Preaching is communicating. God's message of love and acceptance to lost people. What is preaching? If we're called to preach, then we need to know what preaching is. Preaching is communicating God's message of love and acceptance to lost people. So let's break this down for a second, because the first part of preaching, when you hear preaching, what's the first thing you think? Just tell me, shout it out talking talking yeah exactly we we when we first hear preaching we think of talking but how many of you know that communication is both verbal and nonverbal yeah. okay one of the things they always teach you in premarital classes is that, listen, your body language is going to say a lot to your spouse when you're talking to them. You can be saying one thing and meaning something totally different by how you're communicating. Some of the research argues that it's 93 to 7. 93% of what we're communicating is nonverbal. It's only 7% that's received that's verbal. I don't know if that's accurate or not. But one of the things we have to think about is communication. We need to take a good look at our lives. Is what my life is living, is how I'm living, really demonstrating the message of God? Does my life look like the message God, message God wants communicated to the people around me? I like to think about it like this. That communication is me living out my life to God in front of everyone around me. That's what preaching is. Me living out my life to God in front of everyone around me. And that's what Jesus did. He just lived out his life to the Father in front of everyone around him. So the first thing we have to think about is how well are we communicating to the people around us. The second thing that we take a look at is that we're communicating God's message. It's God's message. To have your preaching be effective, it can't be what you believe and I believe about the Bible. It's not our message. It's God's message. When we preach, we need to make sure that the message that we're bringing to people is truly God's message. Well, what is God's message, Pastor Kurt? That's the last part here. God's message is a message of love and acceptance, not a message of condemnation and rejection. You see, a lot of people are okay talking about God love the world, but I know even Christians struggle with the idea that God could accept us. I know many Christians struggle with the idea that we could actually be accepted by God. Now, God doesn't and can't accept our sin. We've been in church long enough to know that. But by the time we're done today, my prayer, my hope for us is that we would realize that God has not only shown his love, not only demonstrated his love, but he has made a way for everyone who is willing to be accepted by him. We'll get there and I'll show that to you, okay? Okay. But I think one of the reasons that we become ineffective in our preaching, number one, is fear. The first thing that holds us back from effectively preaching the gospel is fear. The second thing is a lack of focus. Let's talk about fear for a moment. Would you follow me to the book of Jeremiah? You probably thought, oh, Pastor Kurt, he's going to go all message preaching without going to the Bible. I'm just (laughs) saying, Jeremiah's in the Old Testament. Follow me to Jeremiah, please. I want you to go to chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 4. Two things we're about to look at. Our preaching can be ineffective, first, because of fear. and We're going to discover some fears here. And secondly, because of a lack of focus. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. If you're there, shout at me. Say, I got it. Good. Here we go. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, which just means I set you apart. I ordained you, which means I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I'm a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. I want to read this to you. If you just listen for a moment, I want to read this to you out of a message translation, which is sort of like a modern vernacular. The message of Jeremiah. Before I shaped you in the womb, God said, I knew all about you. Before you saw the light of day, I had holy plans for you. A prophet to the nations. That's what I had in mind for you. But I said, Hold it, Master God. Look at me. I don't know anything. I'm only a boy. God told me, Don't say I'm only a boy. I tell you, I'll tell you where to go, and you'll go there. I'll tell you what to say, and you'll say it. Don't be afraid of a soul. I'll be right there looking after you. God's decree. God reached out, touched my mouth, and said, Look, I've just put my words in your mouth, hand delivered. See what I've done. I've given you a job to do among the nations and the governments. A red letter day. Your job is to pull up and tear down, take apart and demolish, and then start over building and planting. As I look through this scripture, I see four fears that are jumping out. And every time a believer steps out to preach a gospel, the enemy comes right at us with four fears. The first fear is the fear that Jeremiah is facing here. Every time we step out to preach or want to preach, there's like an excuse that stops us. And all those excuses are actually rooted in fear. And the first fear that we see come up here in Jeremiah is, you don't know enough. You don't know enough. How can you step out there and preach, you don't know enough? Anyone ever heard that come up when they want to step out and preach? Anyone ever felt that? Okay, just Pastor Kirk. That's awesome. Come on! One of the very first fears we face is, I, I can't do that, God. I don't, I don't know that much about your word. I know what I'll do. I'll bring them to church because Pastor John is the smartest person I know. And he went to law school and he studied the Bible. I'll bring them to church. Well, there's nothing wrong with bringing them to church. But God didn't just call Pastor John to preach the gospel. God called you and me to preach the gospel. And one of the reasons we don't preach is because we're afraid we don't actually know enough. But let me tell you two quick stories that come out of the Scripture. Both come from the New Testament. Both come from the life of Jesus. Jesus lived approximately 33 years. His actual visible demonstration of ministry from the wedding at Cana, where he turned the water into wine, till his crucifixion was only about three years. Three years. In that time, he had a number of disciples that he challenged, that he ordained, that he sent out within three years to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, and to deliver. Within three years! And the truth is, it was, pr- it was probably in less time than that. Because we get that story in Matthew chapter 10 and 11, where Jesus ordains them and sends them out. So my question is, how many of us have been saved for three years or more? How many of us have been saved for three years or more? Okay, okay. Again, it's not a condemning message. But I think that oftentimes we want to preach. We want to share. We want our lives to be a visible display of God's love and acceptance. And yet we, we're rendered helpless. We're rendered uh, completely in, inadequate because we're afraid that we don't know enough. The truth is, the moment that we give our lives to the Lord, the kingdom of God is birthed inside of our heart. The moment we give our lives to the Lord, His kingdom is birthed inside of us. I have heard stories of people who knew no scripture, and yet gave their lives to the Lord and the scripture came out of them and they preached and shared it to people. So you say, okay, well, that's three years past the credit. I've only been saved a year and a half. Well, okay, well, let's talk. There's another story that comes from John chapter four. Jesus meets a woman at the well. Jesus is hanging out. His disciples are off. They've gone away to get some food. They're going to bring food back to Jesus and they're going to have some lunch. And Jesus is just a cool guy, man. He's just hanging out by the well. And this Samaritan woman comes and you know, Enough by now, uh, Pastor John has taught us very well that the Samaritans were not a liked people by the Jews. They were the half-breeds and they, they were not liked by the Jews. And Jesus begins to, in a couple hours, open up himself to her about who he really is and about what he can provide her. And that changes her, her heart so much that within a couple hours, she goes back to her village and everyone from her village come to hear this great teacher. So I've got great news for you. That lie about not knowing enough is totally inaccurate. It's totally not true. Because even if you've been saved for a couple hours, you've got the kingdom of God inside of you. And nothing can stop you from preaching that truth, from preaching that gospel. It's in there. Oftentimes we just don't step out because we're stuck in fear. We're afraid. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I know enough. The second fear that we see right here with Jeremiah. He says, I'm just a kid. I don't know anything. I haven't lived long enough. The second fear that comes to me from this scripture is I'm not good enough. How many of you have ever felt, I can't preach this word? I'm just, I'm not good enough. Anyone ever felt that way? It's a lie. I'm telling you, the enemy comes at every Christian with these four fears every time we step out to preach. And this this lie says you're not good enough. And we often think, okay, when I'm in the good seasons of my life, then then I can preach the gospel because then people will listen. Well, I want to tell you something today. Sometimes when you're in a Job season, sometimes when you're in the dark seasons of your life and you think, man, I got nothing to give anybody. No one's gonna listen to me. And the enemy's whispering in your ear, saying, You're just not good enough. You can't open up your mouth. It's because he doesn't want you to open up your mouth. Because if you open up your mouth, God says, I have put my words in your mouth. Sometimes in the darkest seasons of our life, what people see is that even if we're holding on by a thread, that thread is Jesus and he's not letting go of us and we're not letting go of him. That's the thing. We don't preach because we're afraid we're not good enough. We're never going to be good enough. We'll never preach if we don't open up our mouth. I'm not talking about living in open, outright sin. I'm talking about those tough seasons. The enemy whispers in the air and says, don't don't even try it because you're just not good enough. That's a lie right from the pit of hell. God says, you open up your mouth. I'll put my words in there. And we need to believe that. Second, uh, the third lie that I think we see here, uh, if you would look at verse eight, I think this is something we can all relate to. God now speaks. And God says, don't be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you. The third lie that the enemy throws in our face every time we want to step out and preach the gospel is they're not going to like you. They're not going to like you. You open up your mouth, you're going to lose all your credibility, especially in today's culture. If you believe in Jesus, you're an idiot in today's culture. If you believe in the Bible, it's an ancient, outdated book that has no relevance to our culture today, at least according to many professors, philosophers, and thinkers, that lie says, they're not going to like you. But you know what? And I know, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Every one of us at some point, whether it's with a family member or whether it's with a friend, have faced this fear right here. If I open up my mouth, that's it. I'm almost going to lose my testimony. And I want you to know today that we need to be encouraged Because here's the deal. God says, don't be afraid of their faces because I'm going to be with you to deliver you. And even if we have to face rejection, even if we have to face embarrassment, it's better than the thought of being rejected by God. I would much rather be rejected. I would much rather be embarrassed in front of people than to be rejected by God. I don't want that. I don't want to be rejected by Him. So I've got to make that decision. Okay, this might be hard. But I'm going to step out. I'm going to step out and share this good news because you do love everyone and you have made a way for everyone to be accepted. They're not going to like you and it's okay. Jesus said, listen, he told his disciples, John chapter 15, they have hated me. And if they've hated me, they're going to hate you. And we've got to let go of that desire for everyone to like us in order to be effective. They're not, everyone's not going to like us. And that's okay. But you know what what's really important even when they don't like us is to not have a callous heart. Is we're going to talk more about that is to continue to remain in love. No matter what they did to Jesus, they nailed him to a cross and while they were murdering him he said, "Father, forgive them." Why? Because they really don't know what they're doing. And if we and we'll talk more about this, but if we begin to ask God to show us what his heart is towards people, then that would change that fear altogether they're not going to like you. This last fear that I see here, probably not everyone has experienced this fear, but the last fear kind of comes very subtly, and it comes in the form of a question. And this fear says, what if it doesn't work? What if it actually doesn't work? What if I pray for them and it doesn't work? What if I lay hands on them and they're not healed? What are they going to think about God? Okay, just being honest here, anyone ever felt that way before? Okay, this is one of the reasons we do not preach the gospel, because we buy the lie that it might not work. Well, let's talk a little bit more about this. So um, last Saturday night, I, uh, I took my wife out in the middle of a snowstorm. Uh, I was that guy. Because it was her birthday weekend, and we had to see Star Wars 3D at IMAX theater. I mean, it was like, it's, you know, it's like the last opportunity. i got to take her to see this. I was blessed. Somebody took me. I really wanted her to experience this. So I said, honey, I don't care if it's the blizzard of 2016. We're going. We're going to go see Star Wars. I will drive two miles an hour on the highway. I will, I will drive slow. But we're going. we got a babysitter. And when you have four kids or more, and you try to get a babysitter, you take every opportunity. <laughs> Because you don't always get a babysitter. Okay, everyone who has more than three kids just said amen. It's hard. Somebody told us, they said, oh man, you're having four. It's good. People like parents and family, they drop the cap at like three. Once you have more than that, it's like you got to find, where do I put this extra one? Like, you're going to take three. Where's the baby going to go? So, you begin to date your wife with the baby. And that's dancing. Well, that's okay. You don't need that. But... So I took her out in the middle of the snowstorm. I really wanted her to have this experience. So we're sitting down, having some dinner, you know, hanging out. It's snowing outside. We got there safely. We got the kids to the babysitter safely. So everything's good. We can now sit back for a few hours. So the waitress is kind of wrapping up, getting ready to bring over our bill. And she's really kind of flustered. And I'm like, hey, what's, what's going on? Well, she says, oh, you know, I, last week when we had just a little bit of snow, my car spun out and I almost got into an accident. And my, my husband really doesn't want me driving home tonight. And I'm like, oh man, I'm the husband who just brought his wife out in the middle of a snowstorm. Not a good witness right now, Kurt. So, <laughs> so I'm like, you know what? Can we just pray for you? Can we just pray for you? And she's like, okay. So I just grabbed her hand and we just prayed for God's protection that he would watch over her. And, and she just went on her way, gave us our bill. I don't know anything that happened with the girl. But do you know what? As soon as we said amen, do you know what the thought was that came to my mind? What if it doesn't work? What if she actually steps out and gets to an accident? What if she pulls out of the parking lot and spins out? What is she going to think about God? What have you just done? But you know what? I began to think. And I immediately shot down that question and shot down that fear. Because here's the thing. When we preach the gospel, there's two parts. There's our part. And there's God's part. And our responsibility is what God gave us. Our responsibility is just simply our responsibility heart i am not responsible for what happens afterwards i have to have enough faith in god that he will take care of what needs to be taken care of on that end because i've called those ministering angels i've called out what needs to happen and it's my faith that will reach over to that young lady who doesn't know about god and will guide her home Okay, so we have two parts here. These are the four fears that come at us every time. I know, I know you want to preach. I know you want to live it. I know you want to be bold. God knows you want to be bold. But man, we're just like Jeremiah getting wrapped up saying, oh God, it can't be, I can't do this. I'm just like, we wear ourselves out before we even try to preach. We don't even preach. We don't even live it. We're so worn out before we even get started. Like I ain't even going there now, God, man. I'm tired, you know, I shouldn't have done all that. Man, we need to be encouraged. We need to know that the kingdom of God has been birthed inside of us. and We don't need to be afraid. We've got the power living inside of us. But that's fear. Not everyone's wrapped up with fear. Some people are so bold, there's no fear in them whatsoever. They will just plow through. Praise God. I love those people. But some of us too, see, it's not just fear. Some of us get tripped up with a lack of focus. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I had to catch myself because I confused myself first service. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I want you to go to verse 1, please. And when you're there, just shout at me. Say, I got it. So Paul is writing here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling." And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in excuse me the demonstra- demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen. Sometimes, when we step out to preach, we have a sense of overdoing it. We actually think it's a good time to unload on somebody or a group of people everything we know about the Bible. Sometimes God presents us, presents us with an opportunity, and we don't just take the opportunity. We blow right through the door with guns blazing and everything. We come out like, you know, with everything we have, everything we got. And Paul says, listen, I could come to you in human wisdom. I could try to persuade you and almost manipulate you to see the truth. But I came to you with one simple message, and that's Jesus Christ and him crucified. We got to keep the gospel message as simple as the gospel message is. And it's not a time for us to unload on everybody everything we think we know about the Bible. It's not a time. Listen, when we're preaching the word, listen, there's a time to debate. But I'm going to tell you something when you're preaching the word, preaching is done through love, it's not a time to debate. It's not a time to pull out everything because Pastor John has taught us you could debate until you're blue in the face. But even Paul says it's not human wisdom or rationale that's going to turn your heart. It's the power of the spirit that's going to turn your heart around. And Paul says, listen, I don't get it. God chose the foolishness of talking to people, of preaching the gospel to get people saved. So, yeah. There are going to be times, and there are great people. I love Ravi Zacharias. There are people who just nail it and cut it down. I am not Ravi Zacharias. And so I should not try to be Ravi Zacharias. I love listening to Ravi, but I need to make sure that my message that I'm delivering to people is the simple truth of the gospel. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. And let God take care of the rest. Let God take care of the rest. So the enemy comes at us with four fears. And then we also have this issue of focus. Well, today, let's become effective preachers of the gospel. I want to give you four simple steps to be effective in your preaching. We've got four fears. We're going to get four simple steps right now. Follow me, please, if you would, over to the book of Romans chapter 8. And I want you to go to verse 3, and then you can just look up at me. I'm going to share a few things with you first. I want to begin to ask this question, how can we be effective? How can we effectively communicate God's message of love and acceptance? Well, the first thing that we need to do is we need to know God's story. Know His story. The second thing we need to always do is know our story because every one of us has a story. The third thing we need to do is know our audience. We'll talk more about that. And the fourth thing that we can do is know God's heart towards people. So we're going to break down all four right now. We're going to start in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, and we're going to talk about knowing God's story. Romans 8, 3. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did. Everyone say God did. God did. Who did it? God did. Who did it? God did. Who did it? God did. Good. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. In us. I've got to tell you, over the past several months, that phrase, in us, has hit me so powerfully. Because Jesus didn't die for Himself. He died to reconcile every enemy and every unbeliever. Romans 5 tells us that while we were weak and without sin, while we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. He didn't die for the good people. He literally died for the ungodly. We need to know His story. What is God's story? Here's God's story, very simply put. Genesis to Revelation. God has a standard. See, people are willing to believe that God loves everyone, but I want you to know today that God can accept everyone, and here's how. God has a standard. That standard is called righteousness. The only way to be righteous is to have fulfilled the law completely. James tells us that it's impossible because if you keep all the law and you break just one part of the law, you're guilty of everything in it. So God's standard is righteousness. And in order to be accepted, you have to be righteous. In order to be righteous, you have to fulfill the law. Romans 8, 3 tells us it's impossible, not because of the law, and not because of God. It's impossible for us to fulfill and keep the law because of our sinful nature. So God, knowing that, knowing that it was impossible for us to keep the law, he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. That is his story. He gave Jesus. Jesus showed up on the scene and he said, listen, don't get confused. Don't get confused confused. I'm not abolishing this law. I'm not abolishing the prophets. I am literally fulfilling the law, and in me fulfilling the law is going to make everyone righteous. Everyone who believes... Everyone who believes. That's the story right there. That's the story we're bringing to people. You turn to that person and say, listen, man, you're trying real hard with your religion. But religion always works from the outside in. It tries to make us a better person. But God shows up on the scene and he does for us what we can't do for ourselves. He turns our nature right around. His spirit comes to take hold of our spirit. And we become born again. We become born anew. We become born from above. Born of God's spirit now. Now the evil spirit that once dwelled within us because of the sinful nature is no more. That's the story we get to bring to people. You can't be righteous on your own, my friend. You can't. But God already did it for you. That's the wonderful story we get to bring to people. So we need to know his story. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Let's take a look at this one. These are all scriptures I'm sure many of you are familiar with. You can sum up God's story in these two passages. And there's all passages you could use from the Bible. But when you're sharing the good news with somebody, you can sum it up in these two passages. Romans chapter 8, 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin. Listen. Again, another thing that has begun to hit me. When you research that, when you look into that, it literally means that God made Jesus sin itself. He made him become sin itself. Look at this, watch this. For us. For us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are called to preach the gospel. The gospel is not a condemning message. The gospel is a message of love and acceptance to everyone who will believe: love and acceptance. So along with knowing God's story, we actually have to know our story. This is a powerful scripture I want to share with you. Can you go to second, uh, excuse me, First Samuel, go back to the Old Testament. Go back to 1 Samuel. Kind of got you all over the Bible today, but it's too good for me just to tell you. I want to read it with you. 1 Samuel, we're going to go to chapter 17, verse 34. So when you get there, just look up. and Let me kind of lay the foundation for you here. 1 Samuel, chapter 17, verse 34. David is the youngest of his brothers. He's the one that gets to keep the sheep. His brothers are are handsome, and and they're built, and they're really, you know, they're well made. They're men of war. They're out at war. David is actually out in the field keeping the sheep. That's where David is. And dad calls over David and says, hey, come out of the field. I I need you to do something. I need you to run an errand. Can you go bring your brothers food while they're at war? And David shows up, and he's like, everyone's kind of shaking in their boots, and he's like, what's going on? I thought you were the army of God. <laughs> like, what's the deal with you guys? You're like the army of the living God, and you're all over here looking at this big dude who's, who's standing here. What's the big deal? And David turns to the king, and this is what he says to the king. He said to Saul, your servant David used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came out and took the lamb out of the flock... I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Okay, time out. I'm sorry. Anyone in the room ever grabbed a bear by the beard? Anyone in the room ever grabbed a lion by the mane? You come after one of my sheep? I'm out of here, man. That sheep doesn't mean that much to me, okay? You go, eat. I'm going to run this way. People run from lions and bears. David literally says he grabbed the bear and the lion by the beard. It wasn't enough. This just blows my mind. It wasn't enough to David that he stole the lamb back. Because now the lion, you take food from, you see these caged animals? You take food from one of these animals. This is a wild animal. It has to hunt to live, okay? And finally gets its food. David somehow or other steals it back. So the lions ticked and the bears ticked, and David just grabs it by the beard and kills it. I'm like, this is just an unbelievable story. What's the point? The point is this David had so well rehearsed what his God had done for him that when it came time to face the giant, he wasn't even afraid. When it came time to stare down that giant, he wasn't even afraid. Because if you read on it, says, As God has delivered me from the paw of the bear and the lion, he will deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine who has no power against the armies of God. Well, what's in it for you and I? How, what does that do for us? Well, here's what it does for us. You and I need to rehearse our story. We need to rehearse our story to ourselves. And we need to rehearse our story to our kids. And we need to rehearse our story to the people around us. You see, David shows up here, and because of his relationship with God, he already knows that God's going to deliver him. You and I have to recall to our minds what it is that God has done for us. Where did we come from? What has God delivered us from? What's our testimony? You know, the problem with testimonies is that sometimes, and especially young people, because I did this, Young people tend to think that, okay, you know what, in order to have a good testimony for God, then I've got to really mess my life up so that he can have a great deliverance story for me. (laughs) Talk to anyone who bought that lie, myself included. What will we say? It's not worth it. You don't know the consequence. You don't know what it'll cost you. It's a lie. I want to encourage you today To say that you don't have to have this crazy testimony. And for those of us who do have a prodigal story, that's what we get to use. But you know as well as I do, there's some hurt and pain that came along with that. Okay? You don't have to have a crazy story. See, one of the greatest testimonies is that God has kept me. One of the greatest witnesses, one of the greatest ways to preach to everybody around you, to family members and to friends, is that God has kept me. When everyone was falling at my left and everyone was falling at my right, when everyone was messing up their lives, God kept me. God kept me. We don't have to have this crazy story. God kept me. And that ought to be something we continue to go through in our mind. We ought to rehearse our story so well so that when God puts somebody in our path, we're ready. David was just bringing food to his brothers. Didn't expect to see a giant in the land, but knew what to do when he did. We're called to preach the gospel. And as we live out our lives to God in front of everyone around us, we need to know what our story is. So I want to encourage you, whatever your testimony is, Know your story. Know your testimony. And always be ready to give. Always be ready to give an explanation for the hope that is in you. Always be ready to preach that word in season and out of season. The second thing, the third thing rather, that we need to make sure that we do is we need to know our audience. This is, a, this is really, really important. If you could follow me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. I just want to take time and really digest this. 1 Corinthians nine nineteen. If you're there, shout at me. Say, I got it. God. Paul is writing here, and he says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law... I became as under the law that I might win those who are under the law to those who are without the law as without the law. Not being without the law toward God, but under law toward Christ that I might win those who are without the law to the weak. I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be a partaker with it uh, partaker of it with you this scripture if we're listening hits us square between the eyes because it causes us to realize that while God's message never changes there are various methods that God can use to deliver his message we need to know our audience you know when you go fishing how many fishermen people who love to fish even if it's small town pound you know backyard whatever you got you know Gold fishing, just pull the fish out of the, yeah. Well, you don't use a deep sea bait for a small pond fish. You're not going to catch anything. Furthermore, you don't use a small pond fish to go deep sea fishing. We need to know the audience that we're ministering to. And you know what? Your family members and each individual family member might require a different kind of bait. There might be a different method that God's going to cause you to use to be able to reach them. That might be different from your co-workers. There might be a different type of bait or method that God wants to use you to bring, to share with those people. But do you know what that requires of us? That requires two things. Number one, it requires that we be a student of people. And the only way to be a student of people is to actually care about people. That's the only way to be a student of people, is to care enough to know them. Nobody cares that we have the life-changing message of God if we don't even like them, if we don't even love them. When did God send His Son to die for us? When we were His enemies. Pastor John was just sharing with us, when we were ungodly. Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus was hanging out with the sinners and the Pharisees were ridiculing Him. And He says, it's not the healthy that need a physician. We have got to care enough about people to study them. Your co-workers, your family members. We've got to get on our knees. The second part is we've got to get on our knees before the Lord and say, Lord, what is it going to take? And that's how you show how much you care about them. That's how much you show how much you care about these people, how much we care about these people. Get on your knees before the Lord and say, Lord, what is it going to take for me to reach this person? I know you love them more than I do, but I love them. What is it going to take to reach them? What message? What method? How am I going to do it? Show me how. Show me how. You know, God has strategically, some of you think you're in a job just because you need a job to provide for your family. God has placed you. If our lives are really committed to the Lord, if He's really our Father, if He's really working all things together for our good because we love Him, because we're called according to our purpose, then we ought to believe that God has strategically placed us in these places of employment, in these places on our street corner, wherever we live, in our community. God has placed you there. God placed you there for this very reason, to reach the people around you. But do we have that heart? The final thing that I want to share with you today... It's kind of what we got into a little bit. It's know God's heart towards people. Know God's heart towards people. And again, we've just talked about this. What it's going to take is us caring enough to get to know people. We're preaching the gospel. We've got the message. We've got the answer within us. But do we care enough about the people that we're sharing it with? Because that's what God did and that's what Jesus did. So although you might step out and every time you step out you might be faced with these fears and I got to tell you something. The more you do it the quieter the fear gets. The more you step out and preach. God said to Jeremiah you open your mouth I'll put my words in there. And then he literally touches his mouth and puts the word in. You say okay Pastor Kirk that's the book of Jeremiah. You know we're in the New Testament Pastor Kirk right? Okay Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, at the end of every single one of them, before Jesus took off, he said, go. Go and preach the gospel. Go and make disciples. Okay, you might not feel equipped. You might feel inadequate. Fear might be glaring you in the face. You might be not knowing what to say. Lord, how am I going to get the right thing to say? That is why God has given us his Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Jesus told the disciples, they're going to drag you into court. You're going to get called before the Sanhedrin. And you know what? Don't prepare beforehand what you're going to say. But in that hour, the Holy Spirit will give you what you are to say. Because it's not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit in you. So don't worry that you're not going to be ready. Just live your life unto the Lord in front of everyone around you. Spend your time in prayer. Spend your time in Bible reading. I'm not declining. I'm not coming against anyone. There is no life as a Christian without prayer and Bible reading. That's, That's a staple. That's absolute but we're called to preach, and we can do it because the Spirit of God, the kingdom of God has been birthed in us. Let me pray for you today. Father, I thank you for every individual in this room. I thank you for your love. You have loved us first. It's not that we have loved you, but that you loved us first, and you sent your only son, Jesus, to live and to die for us. Father, I pray for the word that has come forth today. I thank you for the word. I thank you for the privilege of being able to share it today. I pray that it would fall on ears that hear, Father, that every heart here would be good soil, that we would receive your message today and that we would be prayerful and how we go about preaching the gospel to our neighbors, to our family members, that we would get on our knees and begin to pray for the people that we want to see come to know you, Father. That we would have your heart towards people. That we would rehearse to ourselves regularly your story. That we would rehearse to ourselves regularly our story. Father, that we would know the people that we're ministering to. That we would become students of them, Lord. And that we would have your heart towards them. Thank you, Lord. We come against any fear right now in Jesus' name because God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power, of love, and a sound mind. We have the kingdom of God birthed inside of us. We have the Holy Spirit of power in us. We are able to do this. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.